Welcome to Outlaw Radio, live with Zach Adams. My name is Zach, and I pastor a church located just outside of Athens, Georgia, called Calvary 316. I hope you stay with me over the next hour or so as we seek to deconstruct the negative perceptions of Christians by boldly and brashly discussing today's relevant topics in an honest and genuine way. Before we get to tonight's topic, I want to start, this being our first episode and all, by telling you a little bit about myself as well as the purpose for this particular show, why you should every night tune in to listen to this radio program, whatever night it's on the air in your local market. For starters, as mentioned, my name is Zach Adams, born and raised South Gwinnett, a suburb of Atlanta, born and raised a good old boy from Georgia. Grew up as a pastor's kid. 1980, my dad started Calvary Chapel Stone Mountain in his living room. To this day, he still pastors the church. Growing up in a Calvary Chapel environment, I was afforded some fantastic Bible teaching. I grew up learning the Word of God. And not just did I learn the Word of God, but I came to love the Word of God. Growing up in a a Bible-centric church, I learned to cherish the things of God. I got my Bible education largely from sitting under my father and his teaching. Now, that's not to say as a good old pastor's kid that I didn't have my seasons of rebellion or my ups and my downs. There's no doubt. As with any teenager, uh, I had those moments. And yet I can say that even through those times, I always maintained a love and an appreciation, not just for Jesus, but for his church, his bride. I love the church. The church gave me so much. And so as I was going through high school, I had always had a a love for ministry, an interest in ministry, but I understood the importance of having a call to go into the ministry. And as of my senior year of high school, I had yet to receive that particular unique call. Now, I was a a year ahead in in school, and so I decided to go to Bible college. Which Bible college I was going to go to for at least a year, I wasn't sure, but I settled on the Calvary Chapel Bible College really for no other reasons than it was in Southern California. As a Georgia kid, I wanted to get as far away from home, from Georgia, as I possibly could. I thought Southern California, Temecula, just north of San Diego, a bit south of LA, in the desert, close to snowboarding and surfing, the beach and the sand... In my mind, it was, you know, just a terrible place to go and learn about Jesus. But I went out there for a year, figuring that maybe I would receive the call of God. Maybe my heart would be, would be stirred into vocational ministry. I always knew I'd be in ministry in some capacity. But whether or not I was going to make it my career, that, that, that's what I wasn't sure of. Once again, I hadn't experienced the call. And so from my estimations, it was, you know, let's, let me go to Bible college. I'll hang out. Uh, it'll be awesome. I'll be in God's word. Um, if God calls me, sweet. But at the end of one year, I'm not going to waste my time here. And uh, I'll move back home. I'll go to Georgia State, try to get a business degree and kind of turn that page. Well, three weeks into my very first semester of Bible college, um, September 11th happened, September 11th, 2001, a day for, for all Americans, uh, changed the world. But as an 18 year old man living in Southern California, away from home for the first time, what happened that day shook me to the core. As a matter of fact, it really brought so much into clarity. It was really hard to imagine after that day and all the uncertainty that surrounded it. Are we going to war? Are we still under attack? Are more planes going down? All the flights were grounded. There was no way I could get home, even if I wanted to get home. I mean, it was just so much uncertainty, so much chaos. And and in the midst of that, something happened inside of me. I felt the best way I can describe the call of God. I just, I could not moving forward, imagine Imagining spending the rest of my life chasing a buck, trying to build some life apart from from a kingdom I knew I was a part of, serving a system uh, when I knew that there were that, that, that eternity was at stake. I was ready, man, 
to pack up my car and drive 2,800 miles back home. So I had a conversation with my dad who just encouraged me to stay put, to enjoy my time in Bible college, knowing that the ministry would be there as soon as I was ready. And so I finished my time in school, uh, lasted longer than just the one year. I graduated really not quite sure what I was going to be doing, where I would go, was looking for an internship, throwing some applications around. Not sure if I was going to stay in Southern California, but my heart was drawing me back to Georgia. I just didn't know where I would fit. Well, once again, about three weeks before I graduated, the youth pastor at my father's church abruptly resigned They had a whole summer schedule planned for the high school students and the middle school students. They were without a, the ship was without a captain. So my dad called me and asked if I would come to Calvary Chapel, my home church, and just intern for a summer. I was young, not exactly qualified for the position, but they were desperate and I was available and it was a wonderful marriage. And so I came home, I started a ministry called The Strand for high school students, a ministry called The Link for middle school students. Once again, the whole vision was just one summer, some fun trips, a mission trip, youth group through the week. We had all kinds of events, man, and God worked. So much so that by the end of that summer, it was clear, not just to me, not just to my father, but the elders of our church, that uh, that I was the man for the job. And so I ended up spending the next 10 years serving with my father at Calvary Chapel Stone Mountain as the youth pastor Uh, In the process of time, I had a lot of other opportunities in addition to youth pastoring, but I had really committed that, you know, I was going to do this until the Lord opened a door for me to move on. Most youth pastors' life expectancy, so to speak, are about 18 months, two years. I was in the trenches for a full decade, and I wouldn't have traded that season of life for anything in the world because really it gave me an understanding uh, of the uniqueness of our culture, I'm right at the tail end of Gen X and the beginning of millennial. I'm technically a millennial, but I understand generation X and spending those years in youth ministry just gave me an insight into, I think where our culture is going and, and where the tide of our society is moving. In addition to youth pastoring for those years, I was part of a nonprofit organization that taught release time Bible classes in public high school public high schools across Gwinnett County. Uh, I taught the class at South Gwinnett High School for 12 years. Uh, Basically was an inner city ministry in the suburbs. Uh, God blessed and I enjoyed it immensely. Over those 10 years, I ended up meeting uh, Jessica, my wife. Uh, I definitely outpunted my coverage. Uh, She's the woman that I don't deserve. There's no doubt about it. By far my better half. We got married in 2007, and she was 100% in the ministry like I was. She had a heart for the girls in the youth ministry, a heart for the kids. And for years, we served together. In addition to serving in the youth ministry, she was the church secretary. And we just enjoyed a sweet season. We were dinks, double income, no kids, had a few extra bucks, lived in the area, and just enjoyed loving on people. In the fall of 2012... A stirring kind of occurred once again within my heart. Some doors were beginning to open. Some things were were beginning to kind of settle. And in January 1 of 2013, Jessica and I uh, started Calvary 316, uh, a sister church of Calvary Chapel Stone Mountain. We're cut from the same cloth, but an independent church located, as mentioned in the intro, just outside of Winder, Georgia, the Bethlehem area, outside of Lawrenceville, right outside of, right outside of Athens. And so since January 1 of 2013, I've been pastoring Calvary 316. I can't imagine myself being anywhere else. I love the people there. I love what God is doing there. I'm honored uh, that I get to call that home and that I get to pastor uh, that little fellowship. Uh, over the course of time, we've had two children, Quincy is five and a half. Theodore is two and a half going on 13. And I just got to say that I'm blessed that my family's blessed. I do need to mention that I say all that to kind of set the stage for something radical that happened in my own heart, that 
really leads to the whole concept of outlaw radio, leads to this radio program, leads to the whole outlaw ministry. Here I am, I was saved at the age of five when I made a profession to follow Jesus, baptized at a young age, grew up in the church, loved God's word, went to Bible college, served for 10 years. I was pastoring Calvary 316 for about two and a half years when the Lord led me to the book of Galatians. Now at Calvary 316, we teach verse by verse, chapter by chapter through books of the Bible instead of a topical message or a rant on politics. People come to our church just to open up God's word and let it come alive, let it do its thing. So we go through books of the Bible. I started by going through the book of Mark and then I went through the book of Acts. And then the Lord was stirring my heart in the middle of Acts to go to Galatians. And I had this vision of the outlaw church, what life and grace really looked like, what grace was really all about, not just from a concept, but from an applicational standpoint, the implications of grace. We started going through the book of Galatians in a series that we titled Outlaw Church. And I got to tell you that God changed my life. Now, I'm not going to say that I was I was saved anew or had a, a, a third birth. I was a Christian. But the radical nature of God's grace came alive in my heart in a way that I can all I can say is it changed me. The contrast of legalism and how the church is so mired in legalism as, as opposed to this, this grace period, grace alone. It doesn't have to be grace and do these things, which is moralism or, or grace, but don't do these things which is legalism, nor is it a, a grace so I can do anything excuse to live licentiously. But the gospel of Jesus is grace, period. And I'll tell you, it's liberating. Like for me, it was liberating. That understanding that Jesus loved me and that there was nothing I could do to earn more of that love and there was nothing I could do to lose any of that love. Jesus loved me. Not because of me, but because he's just that good. And that my righteousness is not based on my works or what I do or what I refrain from doing, but that my righteousness is based completely and solely on a work that Jesus did for me. Friend, grace changes everything. And it changed me. And thus, that's the framework for Outlaw Radio. It's, it's the heartbeat of Calvary 316. Now, as this all manifests to this particular show, you know, Christian radio gets gets kind of classified into, into two, uh, two categories, really. Uh, first, you have the standard cookie-cutter um, cheesemo Christian radio, Christian talk radio, where the host seems like they never have a bad day, where they're always cheerful and joyful, filled with the joy of the Lord, and that nothing ever uh, sets them blue or makes them depressed or ticks them off. A lot of times, Christian radio shows, the host is just totally unrelatable. Or if you're trying to relate, it's just nothing but condemning because I'm not that happy. Life isn't that good. It's like these people don't deal in the real world of reality. That life is mucky and sticky and sucky to a degree. And so on one aspect of the, of the Christian radio pendulum, uh, you, have, you have the plastic face, almost pseudo-hypocritical type of radio show. On the flip side to it, you have kind of, the, kind of what I would just call wingnut radio. Now, I'm not going to name names, but like if it's not the cookie cutter, um, comb over, pompadour style talk show, then it's some dude who's done way more drugs in a previous life than they ever should have done, who miraculously gets saved and gets now on the radio and talks about crazy stuff. Like there's one show in particular 
I heard this guy speak and I'm sitting there in the audience and I'm thinking, I can't follow him. He's all over the place. I don't get how this is entertaining. And, and he's being like promoted as somebody who's relevant, a voice for a new generation, not me and not my generation. You see, what, what Christian radio lacks, and in all honesty, uh, what outlaw radio aims to do is to be totally authentic, to be real, to be raw, not to be edgy for, for novel's sake, not to, not to say things or deal with topics uh, because you know we want to get a rise out of the audience, but, but because these are real things that real people deal with. Outlaw Radio is going to be the type of Christian radio show that isn't happening. A real conversation, an authentic one. It's not going to be cookie cutter. And in all honesty, I'm going to say things that will tick you off, but that's okay. But we'll be honest and we'll be real. Now, one of the most important aspects of this show is going to be kind of how the audience ultimately connects with me, meaning that we really need your questions. Like so much of the material of the show is going to be audience driven. We need your questions. As a matter of fact, I want challenging questions, questions you would never ask your pastor, would never ask a mentor, would never ask another Christian. Things that are edgy, but things that you really want answered. If I say something that, that, that bums you out or ticks you off, challenge me. Submit topics that you want to address. Literally, nothing is off limits. And to get your questions and for us to connect and have this dialogue, we need to set up some ways that we can interact. Now, the easiest would be via email. Our email address here for the Outlaw Radio Show is info at outlawradio.org. And yet, if email is just too old-fashioned for you, you could also reach out to me via the Outlaw Radio Facebook page. It's facebook.com slash the, the radio outlaw. Or you can reach out to me through the Outlaw Radio Twitter account. The handle for that is radio underscore outlaw. So two ways, info at outlawradio.org, our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash the radio outlaw, or on Twitter, which is the handle radio underscore outlaw. Now also, if you're interested in having your question played live on the air, now this this show, we call it live, it's, it's pre-recorded live, but if you have a question that you want aired, your voice asking the question. This is how you can do it. You, you can call call Outlaw Radio. Here's the phone number. 678-883-3316. That also has to, happens to be uh, our church voicemail. Call, leave a question. Once again, the phone number, 678-883-3316. Keep your question pithy, and if it's respectful then maybe we'll play it on the air and then we'll answer the question itself. All of the questions that are submitted, if it doesn't make the air, uh, I still would like to take the time to do my best to answer them uh, online uh, or through a one-on-one -on -one dialogue. Well, with the time uh, that we have remaining tonight in our two secondary blocks, we're going to take our time and discuss really what's on everyone's hearts and minds this week. And that is Hurricane Harvey and just the, the incredible damage that's been done all along uh, the Gulf Coast of Texas, specifically the flooding that's been occurring in the great city of Houston. I, I want to talk about what's happening, what's going on. Now, now this is not in the sense of, of bringing you up to speed pertaining to current events. I let Fox News or, or MSNBC or CNN or whatever accomplish that. But I want to introduce this idea because from that point forward, I want to talk about how the Bible rectifies there being an all-loving God who then allows natural disasters. And then I want to take some time and address how Christians, how you and I, what, what should be the, the appropriate response when we are faced with the kind of human suffering that we're seeing today. So don't go anywhere. Stay right there. We'll be back in just a second. 
One of the things we want to accomplish with Outlaw Radio is to challenge Christians to think critically, ask relevant questions, and then seek for answers on their own. The sad truth is that there are too many stupid Christians walking around representing Jesus with literally no clue why they believe what they do. This is why, in addition to our show tackling the tough topics you might not hear on Sunday at church, we want to equip you, inspire you, and challenge you to study God's Word and wrestle with these challenging topics on your own. To aid you in this process, we want to give you a resource we find to be incredibly valuable. Check out blueletterbible.org. In addition to a treasure trove of free commentaries, blueletterbible.org has an incredible word search function, as well as the ability to dive into the original language behind a text. Basically, blueletterbible.org simplifies the process where you can study the Bible on your own. Now, back to Zach. Welcome back to Outlaw Radio. Once again, I mentioned that with the remaining time we have together, I want to talk about what's happened this past week, specifically this past weekend and then throughout the earlier parts of this week in the great city of Houston, as well as the the, the coastline, um, the Gulf Coastline of Texas. In addition to talking about what, what's happened, I, I want to try to set the stage for a conversation about how the Bible rectifies there being an all-loving God who allows such natural disasters to take place before finally in our last block uh, taking taking a moment and discussing how we as Christians should process these things and how we should ultimately react or respond when we're faced with human suffering. I, let me make a, a confession. I, I'm obsessed with storms. Anytime that there's a report of, of a potential tornado or an earthquake, volcano, hurricane, I immediately... And just consuming 24 hours wall-to-wall news coverage. Something about seeing the, the, the magnitude of, of what human nature can do. And just in a sense how, how helpless we are to do anything. How powerless we are when faced with such things. Like as much as our society progresses, as much as we advance, as much as our, our technological... We put someone on the moon... But when Mother Nature rears its ugly head, like we're just subject, we we submit. We're we're at the mercy of it. And it, and for me, there's just something that that just draws you to it. It's it's the, the the notion of slowing down to see the car accident. You don't take joy in it, but there's something that just captures the attention and the imagination. So this past weekend, I had a busy weekend, but as much as I could, I was I was glued to the news to see how this this basically storm that most people weren't taking seriously at all that was just rotating in the gulf as is as it was approaching uh Texas just just started sucking up energy and it was almost like within within 24 48 hours it went from being just a storm to being a category 4 hurricane with just this super defined eye wall moving just east upon land east of Corpus Christi I mean you're watching the news and, and you're seeing I, for me I, I even went to Twitter and I love to follow the guys the storm trace chasers that are doing live streaming from like inside the hurricane and and just to see what was going on and, and just the the widespread devastation now now I recall as I'm watching this to a degree not not just being myself re- relieved, but but hearing the experts on the news kind of relay how Texas had really lucked out, that the storm would have been much worse if it had hit Corpus Christi, a, a more high populated area. But Rockport, you know, while there were people there, was not super populated, and that. Of all of the places for such a hurricane to, to come in, it wasn't a major city and that to a degree, maybe maybe we, we dodged a bullet. Could have been worse. And then, as the storm just sits there and tries to move north, but a high pressure zone's keeping it from getting to San Antonio, this, this, this storm starts to, to inch east towards Houston. 
And then the forecast started getting crazy, right? I mean, we were talking about 30 inches of rain. We were talking about 50, 60 inches of rain. I heard one, one weatherman say that this wasn't just like a generational storm or, or a, uh, a storm every hundred or so years. That This was like a million year storm. The amount of water that it was going to dump on one of the largest cities in America, Houston, Texas. This flat city, similar to New Orleans, parts under sea level, flat, the flooding. If, 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 if you've seen any of the, the, the images, it just caught everybody off, off guard. The, the, the mayor of Houston didn't issue any type of, of mandatory evacuations. You had elderly folks sitting there in water in their, in their nursing home. The images of, of, of people on top of their roofs or their balconies, cars stuck, flooded, submerged. For anyone that's, that's been around, it, it was, it's been eerie. It's been so similar to Katrina and the, the emotions that that, that that triggers, that that brings back. They're saying that this could be one of the worst storms ever as it pertains to the amount of damage uh, that the flooding will yield. Now, as most people do, when looking at a storm like this, and you can go back and, and you can say Katrina or Hurricane Sandy or the Haitian earthquake, just you can run back through a whole long litany of major disasters, natural disasters. One of the immediate things that people jump to is, is the blame game. Not only do you, do you have, you know, Republican governors blaming Democratic mayors and Democratic mayors blaming Republican presidents or Republican presidents blaming um, inept uh, local uh, bureaucracies. I mean, I mean, people just, if, if it's a disaster, people will blame anyone and everyone they possibly can. But you know what's interesting is that, that in such situations, people also blame God. People blame God. Like, how, how can God allow something to happen like this? Like, it's a real, honest question. But before I, I, I answer what appears to be a contradiction, an all-loving God allowing such terrible things to happen... I want to just back up just one step by just talking about nature in general. God created this world. The Bible says, Genesis 1, he created all things. He created the earth, created the land and the seas, created all the vegetative life. He set all of this into motion. And when he did, he said that it was good. Like there was nothing wrong at all with the way that God made the world. The world was created perfect and to operate perfectly. And yet something happened. Part of creation, mankind, which was placed above the rest of creation because man was created in the image and likeness of God. Because man rebelled against God, something happened to the natural order. Now, how God planned it out was that there was God over man. So man was to be submissive to God. But man was then placed over the rest of creation, and creation was to be submissive to man. So you had this, this pyramid, creation submitting to man, man submitting to God. And yet, when man rebelled against God, the order flipped. There were lots of consequences concerning sin. I mean, sin, it introduced death to the human condition. It broke us. We're flawed. We could spend a whole show talking about how the sin of Adam affects you as a person individually right now. But for our topic, you need to understand that man's decision to rebel against God resulted in creation 
being allowed to rebel against man. And this was all God's design. Because man would try to go to creation to find meaning, to find purpose. The created world, the created order of which he was a part. And yet God would let creation rebel and resist and not work out very well for man for the purposes that man would turn his perspective from the horizon to the vertical, that he would get his eyes off of the created world and onto the creator of the world. For more of a, of a philosophical understanding of this, just study Ecclesiastes. Solomon talks about trying to find meaning and purpose in life under the sun, the created order, apart from God. And yet at the end, he, he concludes, that's vain, that's worthless, that's impossible. Obey God and fear his commandments. Get your eyes off of the created order and back onto the creator. So you need to understand, because of man's sin, God has allowed, by design, the natural world to rebel, to resist, to fight humanity. So that humanity won't try to find meaning and purpose in the natural order and will instead turn his eyes back to his creator. Now understand, that is why we live in a fallen planet. In Genesis chapter 3, as God's laying out the curses, the curse of sin, for the woman there would now be pain in childbearing, and there, there would be a hierarchy of authority within the family structure. Yes, there was a curse of the serpent, but when God turned to Adam, it's interesting, God said that the earth would no longer yield, that there would be thorns and thistles. You see, Adam in the garden had been given a job, and that was to care for the Garden of Eden. He was given dominion over all of creation, but his specific job was to care for this garden, to work the soil. And imagining how that would have looked before the fall, it would have been seamless, effortless. And yet, because of sin, the, the earth would fight man, would fight Adam. There'd be thorns, there'd be thistles. It would dry out. As a result, there'd be strife within the animal order, within animal species. Later on, after the flood, God put a fear of man into the animals. Because of sin in this fallen planet, what was perfect in order, we see going into chaos. The planet we live on, and this is my point, looks nothing like it was designed to look. Things die. And so when it comes to natural disasters, it, it, it's illogical and inaccurate to blame God. Because God is not the one that's pulling the strings. Man is. We have hurricanes, we have natural disasters, we have these things happening simply because of sin. And this is the, the results of sin, the byproducts, byproduct of sin. In Romans 8, verses 18 through 22, Paul writes this, he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us, for the earnest expectation of creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to fertility. And how was that? Because of man's sin, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope or Jesus who allowed it to enter futility in hope because the creation itself will also be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors for the birth pangs together until now. What Paul's saying is he's saying the earth is a disaster because of man. And that the earth wants nothing more than for the revealing of the sons of man, for men to become saved, for, the, the, for, the, for Jesus to return and restore order. The book of Revelation, the end times, we, we get a picture of a restored planet. And it's beautiful and it's glorious. Where there's no more strife, the lion lays with the lamb. Man is at peace. You see, today, we have hurricanes, we have twisters, we have tornadoes, we have volcanoes, we have all kinds of natural disasters because the earth is groaning for its maker because the earth doesn't want to live in this brokenness. 
The earth is waiting for redemption. Redemption brought by Jesus. And when we see these natural occurrences take place, and when they're disasters, instead of blaming God, the reaction we should have is to blame sinful man. To blame ourselves. That these things are designed to get our eyes off the temporal, but back on to the eternal. Now, it's true that there are instances of divine judgment. The flood. God raining fire onto Sodom and Gomorrah. And yet, in the next block, I want to try to to, to reconnect this idea of an all-loving God. Can we blame Him? Is that fair? And also, how should we respond? If you're in Georgia listening right now in the greater Athens area and you don't have a church home, we encourage you to check out the church that Zach Adams pastors, Calvary 316. Not only would you be hard-pressed to find a collection of people more real and genuine about their Christian experience, but the entire outlaw radio culture of grace flows out of the ministry of Calvary 316. Keep in mind, Calvary 316 is a church that's relaxed and uber contemporary, but is unapologetically believer focused. We focus our service on teaching the Bible in order to see Christians grow and mature in their faith. To learn more about the church community or to access Zach's sermon media, please visit calvary316.com. Once again, that's calvary316.com. Now, here's Zach with the last part of today's show. Welcome back to Outlaw Radio. My name is Zach Adams. So glad that you're here. In our third block, I want to talk about how Christians should respond to natural disasters. Keep in mind, and don't forget, God is not responsible for natural disasters, for calamities that we see like the the terrible flooding in Houston. The world is groaning for its maker because man's sin has inflicted irreparable harm. Creation is broken. It's flawed. It's longing for its ultimate restoration. And thus, natural disasters, the things that we see happening, they're not God's fault. From a biblical standpoint, it's man's fault. We've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's our fault that we live in the world that we do. And this is not how God ever designed it to operate. And yet, while we can't blame God, that God is not responsible, it is true that in His sovereignty, God allows these things. And the big difference is that if God was responsible in the sense that God was, was inflicting some type of damage or judgment, He would own it. But allowing something means that there's an intention behind it. Now, the intention is not human pain and human suffering, but, but what we see is that the, the intention behind natural disasters is often that it gives the church an opportunity, Christians, to shine all the more brightly. You see, one of the things that suffering affords the church, when communities are suffering, when people are suffering, It gives us a practical opportunity to allow our theology to play itself out in a tangible, real way. I hope you know Christianity is not just about what you know, but it's about what you know affecting what you do and what you say and how you live. Having all of your doctrine in line, your doctrinal T's crossed and I's dotted, that's great, but if it doesn't affect your life at all, then what's the point? You see, this opportunity, this, this, this scene that we've seen uh, unfold over the last week, beginning with Hurricane Harvey and then, and then just the deluge, this rainfall, this, this, this incredible biblical amount of rainfall that's, that's happened in in Houston, and then into into New Orleans, and and presently in the state of Florida, this rainfall and the the flooding that's resulted, and 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 all the things uh, that that's come as a result of it, like we've seen, we've seen an outpouring 
of the best of humanity. I don't know if you've seen it. If you've been watching the news, have you heard about the Cajun Navy? Apparently a group of guys from Baton Rouge, as soon as the word was breaking about what was happening, the flooding in Houston, how it was taxing uh, the police departments, the first responders, a group of Cajuns grabbed their pickup trucks, hitched up their boats, drove to the outskirts of Houston and have been on their own going on rescue missions at their own expense, at risk of their own life. I've even heard that looters have been shooting at these people, but here they are just simply wanting to be a conduit of blessing. I think it's fitting that most of the men involved in the Cajun Navy had experience with Katrina. See, these, these people knew what it's like to lose everything. And they see the need. When faced with human need, they see an opportunity to do something of, of lasting value. I, I think the contrast of how Christians can and should respond might be best illustrated in, in a simple comparison of two churches in the Houston area and how they're responding to the flooding. First, there's Calvary Chapel, Houston. Calvary Houston is a pretty good-sized church, not a mega church by, by any standards, but a, a church of resource. God has blessed the church. Pastor Ron Hent is a wonderful Bible teacher. God is doing amazing things through this church. As soon as the flooding started, this little church with modest resources immediately, without even thinking about it, opened their doors and their sanctuary and their facility to anyone that was seeking shelter. You see, they saw a need and they were willing to meet that need. The prayer of St. Francis, the great saint of old said, make of me your hands and feet. I want to be to the people around me what you want to be to the people around me. And Calvary Houston, they're demonstrating the love of Jesus in a practical and a tangible way by meeting people's needs, by providing a roof over their head and food for their stomach and water. A place to come out of the storm. But I want to contrast that with Lakewood Church and Pastor Joel Osteen. The largest church, not just in Houston, but America. A, a church with a massive facility. With a sanctuary, an auditorium that holds over 16,000 people. They have refused to open the doors of their church to those who are suffering. In spite of the fact that as of when I'm recording this episode, the, the latest news is that the shelters are twice capacity and they're running out of room to keep people. The churches who have opened their doors are out of space. The schools that have opened their doors are out of space. The arena, every place that's providing shelter, they're at capacity. And there you have Lakewood Church and Joel Osteen refusing to open the doors of their church. I even read a report today that some of their very staff members had to be rescued from the rising floodwaters. This is a church worth millions and millions and millions of dollars. And yet, when faced with a need in their own city, they're doing nothing. Now, the truth is that they're just being consistent with their theology. Now, I could easily run down a, a rabbit trail here. But the truth is that Joel Osteen doesn't believe in the gospel. He believes in what's called a prosperity doctrine. If you really want to know what Joel Osteen believes, if you want to see his theology, look at his actions when faced with human need and suffering. He's doing nothing. What contrast? I can't begin to tell you why any of this is happening. I can say that God is not responsible. Man is. But I can't tell you why God is allowing these things to occur. But I can say this. When faced with calamity, the church is given an opportunity to meet practical needs. 
If you've been watching the news, as a Christian, I'm sure your heart has been stirred. The images are just incredible, mind-blowing. And when you're looking at the images and you're looking at the suffering and you're looking at everything that's, that's happening, your heart is moved to do something. Now, you might not have a boat or the ability to, to go down and, and rescue people off their, the, the roofs of their houses or balconies. But most of the time, we're stirred to, to do something. And since we can't meet the need in a practical way, we want to give to people who can meet the need in a practical way. We want to give of our resources. And yet, I want to say that you need to be careful who you give your money to. Right now, knowing that most Americans are feeling this way. You can't turn on the news or, 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 or scroll through your Facebook feed or, or Twitter feed and not see some type of an ad or a prompt to text this number to give. But please understand, not all organizations are created equally. Now, the Red Cross... The Red Cross is a wonderful example, but sometimes with faced with calamity, big organizations fail to meet practical needs. Remember the Haitian earthquake? That 7.0 quake that rattled Haiti in 2010? You know, the Red Cross raised half a billion dollars to rebuild homes. You know how many homes they built? Six. I read one report that said that there was 9.5 $04 billion in total funding. Do you know how much of that funding went to local Haitian relief organizations? 0.6%. Only $36.2 million. The majority, vast majority, instead went to international aid groups, UN agencies, even the State Department. Jake Johnson, an analyst for the Center of Economic and Policy Research, which is a, a nonpartisan group that studies these things, specifically the quake reconstruction. This is how he summed up to the BBC what took place in Haiti. He says, it's hard to say that it's been anything other than a failure. A government audit in 2013 found that USAID underestimated, USAID underestimated how much they would need to rebuild homes. Their budget ballooned from 59 million to 97 million, but they cut their goal from 15,000 houses to 2,659. In 2015, they had only built 900. Be careful what organizations you give your money to. And if you're like me, I'm so suspect. It's just the pessimism in me. How much of, of my $10? Or $20, $30, $50, $100. How much of that money is going to, to cover organizational overhead versus actually going to real people in need? Now, I know there are websites that you can do your research. And I encourage you to, to pull them up before you give money to anyone. But I want to give you an option because this is something that's been moving on my own heart. We've set up a website, the church has, calvary316.tv slash Houston, where you can give money specifically for the relief of the Houston flood. And here's the promise. 100% of every dime given will go to meet a practical need. Absolutely zero of the donations will go to any type of overhead or anything other than helping people rebuild their lives following this incredible travesty. Well, there's a lot that we could continue to unpack. I encourage you to send in your questions, send in your comments. But as I take a minute to just kind of wrap up today's show, I really want to thank you for joining me with this first episode. And, and remember, being a Christian, it doesn't mean that you can't think for yourself, that you can't be real, that you can't be authentic. As a matter of fact, the truth is that there was only one group of people that Jesus himself had a beef with. And it wasn't the sinner. It wasn't the down the downtrodden. Instead, it was the religious hypocrite. Well, you've been listening to Outlaw Radio Live with Zach Adams, a live show that's recorded in advance for editing purposes. If you've liked what you've heard, I encourage you to check out our website, which is outlawradio.org, or you can connect with me via Twitter or on Facebook. Much grace, and I hope to see you this time next week. God bless.
You've been listening to the one and only Outlaw Radio Live with Zach Adams. As mentioned, if you like what you heard, be sure to connect with us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, or check out our website by visiting outlawradio.org. To listen again to today's show, access our daily two-minute broadcast or full-length episodes, check out the Outlaw Radio podcast, available both on iTunes and Google Play. Once again, don't forget, we want to hear from you. If you have any questions, want to challenge something that was said, or would like to submit topics you'd like to hear Zach discuss on air, you can either email us at info at outlawradio.org or leave us a voicemail at 678-883-3316. Again, that's 678-883-3316. Finally, programs like Outlaw Radio are wonderful tools God can use to change lives. But as with any ministry, there are expenses involved. First, if you're not tithing to your local church, you need to do so. And yet, if God has laid it upon your heart to extend your generosity above and beyond your tithe, we'd ask that you'd prayerfully consider supporting Outlaw Radio. Every donation ensures this show remains on your local station. To learn how you can become a financial partner, please visit outlawradio.org. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We hope you join us again next week for Outlaw Radio Live with Zach Adams. Outlaw Radio is a ministry of Calvary 316 in partnership with his productions.